You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area. Local investors, local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I am an associate broker with Arla Real Estate. I'm Sarah Frank. I am an agent with Arla and on Russell's team, the District Invest Group. And this week, we've got a special guest, and we're going to be able to talk about a subject that I actually don't know too much about, so I'm pretty excited. Uh, we've got April Myers here. Hi. Hey, so April, tell Happy us a little about, about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so technically my title is Vice President of Strategic Growth uh, here at Arlis. I'm on the leadership team. I work very closely with Jason and Justin and um, come up with uh, ideas and strategies to help them grow the brokerage. Um, so my real estate story started actually when I was 15 years old. I That's pretty early. Yes, I decided I wanted to be in the business then. I visited my aunt in Paradise Valley in Arizona and we went to open houses and I met an agent and she was so nice and knew so much about the area. And I just said to myself, you know, I want to be involved in real estate someday. So I went to college for it. I worked for realtors in college and here I am still in the business. So, so. What, what do you study in college that's real estate that, focused? That was going to be my question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my minor is actually in real estate studies. So um, I had to take some real estate classes. I had to really, I really wanted to avoid financial accounting. I am not a math person. So I did a minor versus a major in real estate. But you can calculate 3% of anything, right? <laughs> so that, Absolutely. But it wasn't like commercial. It wasn't like a finance real estate one. It was just straight up. Real estate minor. Wow. So communication, cool. I did a communications major with a real estate minor. Uh, like what kind of classes were those? I'm so jealous. <laughs> so it was like economics, macro, right. microeconomics, um, commercial. I did have to take a commercial real estate class. We all know not a lot of it has to do with what we actually do in the residential business. But what was great about that is that it gave me enough credits to where I could take a certificate to the state of Iowa and completely bypass all of the licensing requirements. Mm. And so I did that and um, I marched my little butt down to take the exam and I thought I was smart because I was 21 and had everything figured out and <laughs> I failed. I failed my real estate exam and that catapulted me into somewhat of an angry state. And I said, you know what, I'm getting out of here. I don't like it here anymore. And so I moved to DC two weeks later and took an internship at a lobbying firm during the financial crisis. And so uh, we represented all the big banks on Capitol Hill. And uh, so I got to meet Jamie Dimon and, you know, I was in um, Frank P or Hank Polson's office within the first couple of weeks of being there. And I had no idea what I was doing because, you know, here I am, this little girl from Iowa. But um, well, I've seen a lot of interesting aspects of the business. So that's pretty cool to be 21, 22 years old and you're in a meeting with uh, the, secretary of the, the secretary of the Treasury <laughs> yes. and the CEO of yes. uh, what, uh, Jamie, uh, CEO Chase or? Yeah, J.P. Yeah. Morgan Chase. So, yeah. Yeah, and then I think at the time Richard Davis, he was the CEO of U, uh, U.S. Bank Corp. So had a lot of exposure to that side of the industry while everything was collapsing in two thousand, the fall of two thousand seven. So, so how long were you uh, lobbying then? 
So I was just there for an internship. I okay. used that, you know, to use my communications degree to then uh, work, you know, in the private sector, somewhat of an, in the nonprofit sector in D.C. I, I used it to get my first job. And I quickly found out that you know, it just wasn't really the place for me. Uh, while I love nonprofit work uh, in doing communications and marketing for that, I just didn't feel like it was my heart was really in the business, in the real estate business, because I had worked for realtors all throughout college and I, I liked it. And so I had decided to uh, be an assistant for an agent um, at Keller Williams. So that's I left um, that job. Actually, my job was eliminated because it was a grant program of the USDA and it had lost funding. So, oh, you know, it was like one thing after another. So, And when you were working in college for agents, what were you doing, like admin work for yes. them? Yes, and that was when we had a hot sheet, you know? So I've seen <laughs> I've seen the, you know, different, the amazing like tra transition that this industry has gone through. I was, you know, labeling postcards and taking photos with, you know, a Canon, a cheap Canon camera for her listings and, you know, all of that. And um, so just random work and then driving, around directional signs and just the basics, you know, which is good to see that that's the work that needs to get done or needed to get done back in the day um, to actually make it work, make the, your business run. So. So after your internship, then what did you, did you transition the back into real estate after that? Or? Yeah. So I was actually an assistant for an agent at KW in Arlington. That's where my first, that was my first brokerage experience in the DMV um, at Metro Center. I think at the time they had about 42 agents and now they have a lot more. Um, and so being in a place like that, uh, you know, and I think so much of your success in this business has to do with who you work with and who you work for. Um, you know, in Keller Williams, um, which we can eliminate the name of the brokerage if we need to, but um, they pretty much will take anybody who will yeah. fog a mirror. It's okay as long as you don't say anything negative about yeah. the brokerage. Yeah. yeah. Anything, if you say anything negative, we'll edit it out. Yeah. So, um, so let's take pretty much anybody who can fog a mirror and say they'll sell a house. Mm -hmm. And so I, it was good experience for me because I worked with an agent that was actually not that great at the business. And it took me about nine months to figure that out. Um, it, it was also just... I still have some of the best friends that I do in this business today from that office. So um, every experience in life is meant to be. Um, but I went right from there to to working for an agent at McInerney. Yeah. And, well, so. and you mentioned they would take anyone that could fog a mirror. It's not actually unusual in the business. Right. right. So that's they're not that the is, only company. That's the business that structure that. of most brokerages, not all, but 87 percent of people who get a real estate license will fail out of the business. Right. And so it takes a lot of time to try to identify who will actually be good and who will fail. Mm -hmm. And so really you, get, you got to take hun hundreds of agents in that are paying you fees and that's their business structure. And that's the business structure of what, probably 80% of brokerages, right? Well, and especially Keller Williams, because if the more agents they have, they're getting to that cap, the more money the company makes. Yeah. Once you're past a certain point, they don't really care how much more you sell. Diminishing returns. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's not a really negative thing we're saying about them. It's just the it's just the fact of <laughs> how the business structures are for brokerages. Yeah. Um, they need hundreds and hundreds of people paying into their business. Um, so brokerages largely their clients are agents. Right? So they need huge volumes of these clients, which are their agents 
um, in order for them to become profitable. And they're a very thin margin business on top of it. Um, so it's really volume, not necessarily quality in mm-hmm. most places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, yeah, that's so different. Like you were talking about the beginning of when you were working for an agent and they were doing kind of everything, taking the pictures, doing the signs, doing the mm-hmm. lockboxes, that was all in-house versus now I feel like the agents do the transaction, but they have the photographers and I've even heard of like mm-hmm. third party sign companies. And that has to be so different from where you started. And especially with the way that Arla is, we have so many mm-hmm. in-house people right. behind in-house the scenes who are doing things. Support. Is that kind of one of the reasons you were drawn to Arla's because of just how different it is from the standard? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of have two answers to this your statement or your question, um, some of it is so regional, right? Like that was also in Iowa right. where I, I've always described DC as if you were to take a UFO of every class, high school president class of so their graduating class and put them all in a, in a UFO and they descend upon a city, it would be DC. <laughs> and good. you have a bunch of people that are here to become something else. And that is also what they expect of everybody else that they surround themselves with. So, in this business here, there is a level of, um, you know, cachet that people expect out of their realtor. Whereas in other parts of the country, having been licensed in both now, um, you know, I, I have seen there's just different things that are done. It's different customary, you know, depending on the region. So the other side of that is that I also have learned through my experiences that I could never sell something I don't believe in. And after being at a couple of brokerages with very limited services like Keller Williams and Remax, who, you know, I've had, like I said, along my journey of still have great friends from both places, um, I've realized that nobody can do it alone. And support means so many different things in so many different ways to different people. And so at the end of the day, I do real I do think that the future of brokerage is if you're not providing that support, whether it be you know, services for installation of signs or yada, yada, um, that I I really do think it's going to separate the good brokerages from the bad ones. So, so after Keller Williams, where'd you go to from McInerney? That's when you went to McInerney. Yep. Yep. And I, I had a 180 experience, right? Like I worked with a guy at KW that was not that great at the business, which is a kind of a good first experience to have first, second, third experience to have, because, I learned exactly what not to do. Plus, we were in the down, a downturn. You're talking the fall of 2008, you know, a downturn in the market. Like, it started to get really tough. And the, what will happen is the gap widens between the good people and the bad. And so when I went and worked with Anne McClure at McInerney, she's still an agent today, very well respected in the area and in the industry. I learned literally almost everything I know from her. And um, she is so... Uh, such a depth of knowledge. She's an amazing problem solver. And that's one of the things I always admired about her and still do to t- today. So I work with her at McInerney as like a member of her, quote unquote, what you would call now a team. Teams weren't really huge back in 2009. So, yeah, funny story. Um, so I got this call about this listing in Arlington that wasn't selling. And they said they were interviewing some other agents. And I told them, at a pr- pr- very peripheral look, I was like, I think your property is overpriced and that's why it's not selling. And they had mentioned that they had also interviewed Ann McClure. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, I was like, whatever price she told you is probably pretty <laughs> accurate. Like she's very well respected. I'm probably going to go in there and tell you the same price as she will. Um, and they ended up not t- going with Ann or me, mm-hmm. but, but, um, 
you know, I just knew like, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you, know, you don't need to call 25 people. Like yeah. we're all, all the certain people at a certain level are going to give you the same pricing, mm-hmm. you know, advisory are pretty close mm-hmm. to they it. probably wanted someone that would lie to them. And- <laughs> well, and that's Which why is what's had, been happening. Yeah. So. That's why they had their current agent who told them a number they wanted to hear and they listed too high and sat on the market. Um, yeah. And as we know in Arlington, if a if a property's priced appropriately, it's going to get multiple offers. <laughs> it shouldn't sit there for yeah. more than a weekend. So. so how long did you work for Anne then? For about four years. Okay. Yeah, it's a long time. Um, like I said, I learned a lot. I became licensed in Virginia in 2009, working with her, and then also in D.C. a couple uh, – just years following. So, um, so yeah, she didn't have her D.C. license, so I thought if – if she could handle Maryland and somewhat Virginia, and then I could handle somewhat of DC, um, that would be good. But I was always working for her full time, which made it a challenge really to kind of create my own business. And I think I was 24, 25 at the time. Mm-hmm. Nobody I knew was buying or selling. And I'm telling you, like, <clears throat> you kind of have to pick your poison, right? Like in this market, you could go out and show one house and that's the one. And then they get multiple offers and they didn't pick your client's offer. So then you're out again with them the next weekend. Well, it was kind of the opposite for us in that we would show 14 houses to one set of clients from nine to noon. And then you would go the other half of the day and show 15 more. And so, because there was so much more inventory. And so you, you kind of have to pick your challenges, which is good because I've been seeing a lot of houses and I helped her out where she didn't, she had somewhat, you know, um, what's it called? Like overage, like she had too much work to do and yeah, yeah not enough. To well, it's hands. interesting. One of the things you just mentioned there is you were 24, 25 and none of your friends were buying yet. Mm-hmm. They certainly weren't selling because they, right. they haven't been old enough to even have owned the house. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I always think one of the biggest mistakes brokerages tell agents is work your sphere of influence. Right. I don't think your sphere of influence is a good bucket to, to really try to hit until you've been in the industry for a little while. Um, so I, I'm, I'm always shocked that like people, and I think that's part of the reason people fail, right? Like mm-hmm. no one wants to use you if you've been an agent, if they're your friend and you've been in the business six months anyways, right? Cause they don't trust you. Absolutely. So you're going to learn. I've always been a big proponent of you have to learn how to generate leads. Right. Um, and if you can be a lead generator and get past that, then eventually you, you can work your sphere. And generate leads without social media at the time. So, yeah. 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 Um, so it was I, difficult. I, I think I closed my first deal. No, yeah. I know I closed my first deal off an open house lead. So, which I had gotten. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's how you did it then. And you were lucky to get a couple of people through your open house at the time, because, you know, like I said, properties would get stale, you know, not quickly, but, it wasn't uncommon for property to sit for 30 yeah. days. I don't know so. what the inv- inventory levels were specifically here, but nationally around that time, we're looking at like 15, 16, 17 mm-hmm. months of inventory, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, mm-hmm. it was a strange time. Yeah. Plus now I've, when I try to, I don't really do a ton of coaching for new agents, but when I do talk to newer agents, I say, Hey, look, be picky about the open house you do because you typically want to do the first open or only an open after a price drop because otherwise you're wasting your time. It's something that I wish somebody would have told me early on. Well, so. Sarah found this out not that long ago. Yeah. Right? I've done two and they've both been like, oh, come on. So I'm not doing it. Again. She did yeah. one on a condo in DC. Well, condos are tough condos too. Aren't there was one that was in Baltimore that was priced well in a good location, uh-huh. but it's just the middle of the summer too. So. Yeah. I don't know. I've seen a couple in Arlington over the past couple of weeks. And I was like, I was like, if the realtor in me was like a kid in candy store, I was like, this is insane. Like the amount of people that are coming through. So, but they were the first 
opens, you know, mm-hmm. too. So I, in the first week on the market. So well, one of the things I thought was awesome with one of your open houses recently was you actually got paid to do it, right? Yeah. Well, that's Liz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Liz Ho. She's the best. Cause she's like, Oh, I got to my, my father-in-law's coming to town. Like I'll pay you whatever. Well, to but be I honest, be <laughs> I think that because at Arla, we, I, I, I mean, we make it very difficult to even find our um, agents. Are you interested in Arla? We make it, Justin and I have joked like about how difficult it is to find on our website because we don't want a thousand people coming in through the site um, just saying, hey, I got my real estate license. Can, can I interview you or for brokerages? I want it to be hard to find. Then I want you to answer a bunch of questions, typically, unless it was a lead, which it was from Russell to me. For you, but um, but we want it to be difficult because if you can't figure out how to navigate a website, um, good luck in this industry. But where I was going with that is, we hire typically really good new agents, and rarely do they fail. If they fail, it could be because they have other endeavors, which I don't really like hiring people with a full time job. But you know, we all start somewhere, so you got to sort of take a gamble. Um, but like. If, if for the quality of agent that we have here, agents should get paid, especially if you are out of town and you are a top producer. It's one of the things you somewhat have to expect. To, if you want time off, mm-hmm. you're going to have to be willing to pay. An, um, oh, and I've got no issue with yeah. that. Usually just though. But it's funny that right, many I see people what you're are trying to jump at to do that open house, right? To, to try to pick up buyers, yeah. right? And uh, I was like, you're getting paid? I was like, that's awesome. She must yeah. have known. Yeah, she must have known it wasn't going to be busy. Well, but. there you go. So. Um, so you worked for Ann and then, yes. had, then you transitioned out of that. I did. I did. So, um, I'm from, you know, Iowa yeah. originally. And so, um, we, I was very close to my grandmother and my grandmother, um, was passing away and it kind of got me into this mindset of, do I want to wait till my parents are like old and fragile to like live close to them? Right. Like, and I had met Colin, who's now my husband, we were engaged and I was like, you know, what if we were to like move closer to my home, like move back to Iowa? And he's like, well, you know, I'll, we'll try it or we can try it. And so I, knowing that I couldn't just hop into the Des Moines market, um, on a hundred percent commission. Um, I, uh, I took a job with a commercial, uh, real estate firm doing their marketing. And so we moved, we moved to Des Moines and that's when I, um, joined Remax too. So I held my Virginia license in, um, at McInerney and I did until 2016. And, um, and then I got my Remax or I got my license at Remax in Iowa. So, um, that's how I became a Remax agent in Iowa. <laughs> so were you doing, so you were doing sales then with Remax? I was, yeah, it, it, it push came to shove and I, I actually got fired from that commercial real estate job. Um, and I remember my manager at the time telling me, he's like, I know you're, you feel like you've hit rock bottom because Colin had lost his job at Wells Fargo at the time too. And he's like, I know you feel like you've, I didn't want to fire you, but the boss, this is what he wants. Um, and you know, when I got fired, he told me this will be the best thing that ever happened to you. Trust me. And I wish I, I actually think I have texted him since. And I'm like, you know what, Andy, I think you were right. Um, so not really. Thank you, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so it sort of catapulted me in this flight or flight mode. And I was like, you know, we had $1,700 in our savings account. We owned a condo. Um, my husband was unemployed and I was unemployed and I was like, shit, I got to make this work. So it sort of, 
made me uh, hit hit the ground running. And I just did everything I learned at McInerney. I did everything I learned from listening to Buffini. And I just, I, I went to town. I connected with agents at the brokerage. They had referred me some business. Then I would get a referral from them. And, you know, and so like one thing happened after another. In the meantime, my husband was figuring out how much he did not like living in Iowa. And so, <laughs> so we lived he there. from originally? He's from out here. Okay. And so, well, he, they moved all over. His dad was in the government and so they live in Sterling, Virginia now. And so, um, and they're very close knit family because when they moved around, all they had was each other. Whereas me, I had much different background. Like I literally grew up in the same house that I, my parents just moved out of 10 years ago, you know? And so, um, you know, I wanted to leave and he likes being around his family. And so at some point I was like, okay, you know, I guess probably we'll go back, you know, but I, I want to get an opportunity. So then Maureen Dunn, who, or McInerney Dunn, who owns McInerney Associates, had seen how well my sales were going and reached out to me and was like, hey, we're dealing with this company here. Like their name is Compass and they keep, you know, poaching agents and they're really recruiting and using incentives to recruit. He's, she's like, have you ever thought about doing agent recruiting? And I was like, no, I haven't. But in my sales, like we're doing really well here. Because no one ever thinks about right. doing agent recruiting. Like who gets a real estate license? Like I really want to go into recruiting. Yeah. Because like, it's not on it. No one thinks exactly. about it. Exactly. And so I feel like I have like the longest story and you guys are getting the long version of it. But um, so, you know, so she threw me an offer and I said, look, Colin, like if you want to go back, it was three years later. Um, I was like, you want to go back? This is our chance. I was like, I will leave the nine things I have under contract <laughs> to get back to Virginia, you know, and that's what we did. So then enter in agent recruiting into my life. It was just seven years ago. Yeah. So that's a big ago. change. So tell us about that transition from sales to recruiting. Cause well, they're, when they're I, somewhat similar, but completely they are different. somewhat similar. And to be honest, um, if you take a lot of the skills that you develop when you're a good agent, which is following up and connecting with people and relationships and all of these things, um, you're like, you know, it's not really that different, but it is um, once you learn more about it. Um, so the first thing I did is I hired a coach. So I, I'm like, you know, I, I, I somewhat know what I'm doing, but I, after I went on a couple of Asian appointments and I realized like, oh my God, I totally botched that. Totally didn't know what I was doing. Um, I'm messing this up. I don't want to mess it up for the company. Like I need a coach. So I hired a coach. So what were you doing? You were finding agents that had potential and just like, like a listing appointment, sitting down with yeah, them and selling them on. Absolutely. The I, I mean, and that's the thing is I had to learn the art through my coach. I had to learn the art of not selling mm -hmm. people on things. And so often when you're speaking with somebody they want to get out what they want to say and you you're just there to listen to them and i i realized that i didn't want to be that person that made people feel that way um i wanted to go in with a completely different mindset of i care i, I want to get to know you i want to see if i'm going to care about you i want to see if i care about what you're doing in this business i want to see if you're a fit for this company and then you know, from there, we'll see if it meshes with what you want to accomplish. So that's really what I had. To, I had to completely change my mindset in that the anti-selling selling approach was what works. So I mean, that's what works largely in regular sales, too, right? Mm -hmm. Particularly age 45 and under doesn't want to be sold to. Mm -hmm. um, 
Right. And for the most part, I'm pretty much self-taught, not like, yeah, I've been a couple of different places. I've seen, you know, lobbying firm and I've seen, you know, a lot of aspects of the real estate industry and I've had some mentors along the way. But um, a lot of it has been a lot of self-discipline and really, um, you know, making sure that I, I'm diving in and completely understand what I'm talking about first. So um, so finding agents is there's couple of different ways I do it and I can get into like how that happens, but I give away all my secrets. So, um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I do have different, probably about four main tactics that I use. So what so. would be like, what would you consider a successful week or month when, when you were recruiting at McInerney? Was it recruiting a certain number of agents, a certain amount of volume? So it's interesting because I went from obviously like running my own business, right. To then having to mirror what the owner of a company wanted to see done in sales. So like yep. it's somewhat of an internal sales role. So whether or not what I wanted to think was a good month, it's what they thought was a good month or what they didn't think. And that's where my challenges came in. And um, there the process was that I would interview an agent and then from there they would go on and speak with a managing broker. And then the managing broker would decide if they were a fit for the company. And I think that uh, there's that's an issue on a couple of levels. Not only do people feel passed off on, they also feel like if there's time in between um, when that agent gets called after I make a recommendation to a managing broker, they start to think like, oh, do they not like me or whatever? Or they're going about their deals and they don't really care anymore, you know? And so you sort of lose this momentum, you know, that you don't yeah, want so to. You, you so. want to strike while the iron's hot, but when you have multiple decision makers in this Somewhat. process, yeah. you can miss that window. Yeah. So what I would have considered a good month, I mean, it's hard to t say because I was doing it under the representation. I was representing what somebody else wanted yeah. at the time too, they were very into the fit. Like, are they a fit here? Are they a fit with us? And, you know, now being out of that and being at Arla, like I love being able to decide whether or not I think somebody yeah. is a fit because I think I'm a pretty good judge of character. So tell us so. how you transitioned from McInerney to Arla. Yeah. So I um, obviously do a lot of networking. I have to, it's one of the four main places where I meet agents. And um, throughout that I had gone to, obviously I go to where the most amount of agents are present, right? Which would be a lot of the industry events, which are, you know, the board events and, you know, magazine cover unveilings and, you know, this, that, and the other. So um, throughout going to some of those, I met, I met Justin Levitch and um, we became friends and, you know, we had gotten coffee every once in a while. And, you know, I think they also sort of warmed up to the idea of, Hey, maybe we need a position like this. Maybe we need somebody like that, but we're not ready for it now, but maybe Maybe when we are, April will be our our girl that will that will approach, and so that sort of I think ended up happening. And so um, that's that was my first introduction to Arla was Justin, um, and yeah, I, I, I obviously still have a lot of respect for him. <laughs> so um, I would hope so because yes. if he listens and he hears otherwise, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, he's like, and one of the things you know, being at a legacy brand like I would consider McInerney. Um, I was a little bit worried, like, oh, okay, going to this young company, like, they're just shooting from the hip, probably, they don't really understand, you know, really what, they haven't seen it all, and whatever, and I, I will say that that is the most refreshing thing about coming here, is that I, I was actually just telling Justin this before I got here, um, and that, you know, one of the people that I really respect in McInerney is David Howell, and he is like a human 
real estate encyclopedia. And uh, I mean, nobody ever leaves David Howell. And um, he, he's just a very respectable person, very smart individual. And I was a little bit worried leaving there that I'd be leaving that depth and that breadth of knowledge. And I would say that what Arla does an amazing job with is taking their knowledge and spreading it among the agents. So then the agents are then empowered to go out there and share it with who they know, whether they're at brunch or if they so want to talk about it So what does it look like social. when someone is trying to recruit a recruiter, right? So <laughs> oh. <laughs> is it... I don't know they how much throwing, I want to give away. Are they just throwing money at you to try to get no, you over? No, no. Selling a culture? No, she just said, and like she's been saying, she can't sell something she doesn't believe right. in. Like most people, well, and Arla is something that I, I think most people it, believe it's hard, in. It's hard no, to no, recruit no, but in I general, also but I imagine at, recruiting a recruiter is even harder because your whole spiel for, for years before that I is know. saying, come here, this place is great. Yeah. And well, now if someone's convinced you another place is Let me greater. actually just tell you something. Something I really thought about was what is the most similar place to McInerney, but would probably get rid of a lot of the issues that I have with mm-hmm. McInerney, um, which is, you know, somewhat feeling like I had to be a gatekeeper or being gatekept myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that I, I also looked at like who I was losing to you know, in recruiting these who we were losing agents to. And I, I, I talked to a couple of people that I trusted that had now been at Arla. Um, and, you know, I, I did my research. So, and like I said, I wanted to go somewhere else where it would be a full service company where the brokers don't sell, which I think if agents don't think that if your broker sells, it's not a big deal. It 100% is. And you should think about it if you're somewhere where your broker does sell because it's a huge deal. Um, but, or leadership. We're not saying anything bad about those people. <laughs> and so, Some of those people well, they're only, they're podcast. only taking, they're only, <laughs> they're, they're just taking the, you know, $20 million listing. So that's no big deal. Right. Um, so I think they also have, they should be 100% dedicated to their agent success. And so I think that, you know, I did look at a lot of those things and I did consider it. And like I said, yeah, like Sarah reiterated, I can't sell something I don't believe in, which, you know, is limited service and limited service agency brokerage. So. So now at Arla, what does a successful week or month look like? Do you set sort of goals for yourself or anything or is it or is it very much fluid? Recruiting is a numbers game. Um, but, you know, if the agent in me. I, I will say it, it is tough. Like I was just telling you before Sarah got here, um, like two weeks ago, seven meetings got moved or canceled. If I want something from someone, they know that, which is even just a coffee, it's easiest to cancel and get rid of me. Um, I'm also trying to meet with somewhat experienced agents, right? Like I do meet, I'll tell you a little strategy I have um, in a little while, but you know, I do meet top producing agents, but I also meet five to $10 million producers all day. Those people are busy. And if a client calls or a problem comes up, I'm the first thing to get removed from the schedule. So, you know, you it is a numbers game, but you also have to really realize that even getting an appointment on the calendar with somebody is a foot in the door. Although it might not be a win if they're not meeting with me right now, you continue to follow. They agreed to meet with me at one point, and so I continue to just follow up. So a successful week, I would say, is at least mm, at least five meetings with agents, at least five, one a day. You know, um, you know, and meeting can range from coffee, just getting to know them, to 
an actual meeting like in the office, which if they're coming into the office, it's typically a little bit more serious. So, so. what do you do when, so you've, through your undisclosed strategies, you find <laughs> a good match you think will be a good match for Arlo. You have the meeting with them and then you're like, hmm, maybe not. Is there like, do you just say, oh. I don't follow up with them. You just don't follow up? No, okay. I won't. I don't even write them a thank you note. Okay. Yeah. And I feel awful when I even, I hate yeah. admitting that, but um you know, I also scale back how how hard I want to sell it. Usually I can feel it in the first, first 15, couple. 20 minutes. Um, yeah, there's been a couple, a couple meetings that stick out in my mind that were very uncomfortable. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm just not. I so here's I'm a done. question because yeah. our broker also recruits, as does yeah. our president, I believe. Do you guys ever have disagreements over you want to get someone they don't like them or vice versa? Um, I, th- I mean... Maybe I can't think of anything specific. I can't think of a specific instance. And to be honest, he well, owns, that's good that you're mostly on the. He same owns page. the company, so if whether or not I would agree with something, it's his company. I'm here to represent his interests. So, um, yeah, what I would say, we no, like no, probably not. No, I mean, I think if I saw somebody on his calendar that I had a glaring problem with, I would definitely bring it up to him and let him decide what he wanted to do with that information. I think I've done that before couple times so yeah so five appointments a week is a at least yeah good success yeah are you able to track conversion rates because (laughs) because so much of this is recruiting is a multi-year process sometimes it is so many yeah you have to have a lot of patience talk with someone and not get them to switch till three years later yeah that happens a lot i would say um yeah i i think the tracking what you know, tracking a success rate is looking at like the appointments over a calendar year. And then at the end of that calendar year or whatever date parameters you set aside, seeing how many of those agents are here. I think at one point my conversion rate was close to 40%. So if they're meeting with me, the chances are that within mm-hmm. a certain period of time, they will probably be here. I also do that because I'm picky about the meetings I take. Um, I, I mean, I could be very busy all week meeting with a lot of different people, but and maybe I should be busier, but I decide that, you know, I don't want to run ragged for maybe somebody that I don't like or maybe some something that somebody that might not be a good fit. And so I try I try to just really keep um, I don't know what it's called. Like I try to just make sure that I'm working with purpose. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So and those conversions take a lot longer for the more established agent like a new they agent do. can hop on. But moving your book of business, they is- do. Also, you know, we have a pandemic in there where I had to recruit completely over Zoom for two years, almost a year and a half. And then um, or, you know, sitting on, I know, park bench um, in Rockville. Um, So, you know, there is we're going to lunch, you know, and connecting. But um, that that threw a wrench in things. And then, you know, we we obviously are going through a transition in the company right now with you know platform and at properties and all of that. So it's me learning a little bit more about their what what to sell with that, you know? Yeah, so, so for those who may not understand what that reference is to, uh, Arla just, uh, we dis- disenfranchised, would that be right? Yeah. We're from Berkshire Hathaway. And now our new franchise agreement is with at properties, one of the largest brokerages in the Midwest, who's very tech focused. Yeah. Um, so we're bringing in all this new software and that mm-hmm. must make, make your job. I would think a little bit e- easier, at least offer, more value add Absolutely. to someone you're trying to recruit. Absolutely. I mean, 
I've I've sat across the table with multiple agents that are very, you know, competitive at a competitor that really touts their technology. I will that shall go unnamed. Um, but like, and they've said, this is better. This is better. Like, you know, I'm just stuck in an agreement or, mm-hmm. you know, F- X, Y, and Z. So um, I'm confident in what we're doing. I mean, my jaw hit the floor. I actually had to keep it from hitting the floor when I saw the tech for the first time last summer. And so I'm really excited for the whole thing to be completely rolled out. So yeah, we're sort of in that transition period right now where I have half of things to show people, but I'm also a firm believer in that, you know, I was reading to Gabe the tortoise in the hair the other day. He's not that interested in it yet, but I, I was just, it was a good exercise for me in that, you know, if, if you're good at what you do and you just keep going, you, you will prevail. So, so when you're recruiting uh, for Arla mm-hmm. and you're meeting with an agent, what are your, what are your big selling points that you're trying to hit? So right? I just kind of your way to say to the, we have, you know, about 500 downloads an episode and about half of them are agents. So Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, this is my moment to shine. However, I'm going to not probably give you the answer you want to hear. Uh, what I like to do is find out what's important to them. And then I really focus on that in the meeting. Um, I ask them a couple of questions. It doesn't have to be like a long questioning period. Sometimes it goes long mm-hmm. because sometimes they just need somebody to unload on. Um, in some ways, I'm a little agents bit of a... <laughs> notoriously like to bitch a lot. They do, too. And also deciphering whether whether or not it's real isn't really my problem. But um, if we have what they don't have and I can cover it up with an Arla Band-Aid and show them how we could help them, you know, grow or do be feel more important or whatever it is that they need, um, you know, then then that's what I focus on is really only what's important to them. And so I typically ask an agent what three things they would change about where they're at or um, I ask them. You know, if you were to walk into your perfect brokerage tomorrow, what would it what would it have X, Y and Z? Um, And I asked them to describe that for me. Is there any like most common uh, themes that come up or the word support is so overused, but it actually is great because we have so many facets of support at Arla that we can pretty much cover a lot of them. Um, So, yeah, that, that I would say is the most common thing or my broker doesn't call me back. Or it takes longer for them to call me back than I need to ratify this contract. So, you know, so. I'm always kind of surprised at the amount of agents that do need to talk to their broker because I, I don't think I've ever like had the need to. Yeah. You're also an associate broker who's taking the education and the knowledge. But yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of agents also that. just, what it, they, they don't really, it, you know, this, what I've noticed is that. A lot of people have just, you know, shot from the hip in the last five years. I think it's it's been interesting on social media to see the people talk about, oh, this isn't 2008. And I'm like, well, yeah, you how do you know? Like you weren't even here, Um, you know, but it's hard. I don't want to get like, oh, you know, I'm experienced and you're not on people. But, um, you know, I think that a lot of agents just don't pay attention to the information that's being provided to them. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they were in the right spot where they did have brokers sharing their knowledge, they may not have to you know, ask these questions. Like the questions I see, I mean, that um, Echo Title Northern Virginia real estate talk on there. And there are so many opportunities I see a day where I would love to, I would love to comment and be like, the fact that you didn't A, pay attention when your broker was talking about this in the last three weeks or B, your broker's not telling you this stuff. Like, 
huge well, problems and red flags. And it's like, this is your income. This is your livelihood, people. Like, pay attention. Well, and hopefully that information the broker is giving is actually accurate. So I was, before I switched to Arlo, I was recruited by another brokerage. Mm-hmm. And I'm a very much by the book and by the rules person. And mm-hmm. I went to this, and part of their recruitment was like, why don't you come to our sales meeting, see how you like it. Mm-hmm. And I went to the sales meeting for this brokerage and the uh, broker was speaking and specifically like mentioned two things that were like a hundred percent incorrect and illegal. She didn't know the nuances of the the law and the mm-hmm. subject. I was like, what she just said is an antitrust violation. Wow. And so like that was a big turnoff for mm-hmm. me because I'm very much by the book. Yes. Um, I think it's something Arla does so well is disseminate information that mm-hmm. systems in place. Like you're never wondering like if there's a new change to contracts, you know, and you know, you should there's know. so many other yeah. people to ask. Like I can't imagine having to approach Justin or Jason for anything unless well, like my hair was on fire. And there's I really also help. just different scenarios that come up. Like every house is different. Every buyer is different. Every seller is different. Like, you know, I've been involved in close to 200, 200 transactions in my time. And um, which doesn't seem like that many over 14 years, but it, you know, when people weren't selling a ton from yeah. 2009 to, you know, whenever, um, it is a lot. Um, and like, there was, there's still things that come up that, you know, I think that's why people crave and love this business is that you really have the opportunity to learn something new every day. Um, I think also a lot of people somewhat call their broker for a gut check. It's not that they might not know the answer. Actually, it could be because, you know, how I was listening to your, um, podcast with Robert Garcia and the amount of people that have become licensed, the bar of entry is so low that, um, you know, they, I can see where the questions yeah, will come up. Plus they don't have a mentor or people, you know, helping them, you know, so. Maryland's got 50, just over 50,000 licensees now. DC just passed 11,000 licensees. I, I don't know I what think Virginia MBR is. is close yeah. to 14,000. So. No, it's gotta be more, much more. It's gotta it's be more? more. It's gotta be more than Maryland. Northern oh. Virginia, um, so the Northern Virginia Association of Realtors. Oh yeah, so that's what I look at. Thirteen thousand members. That's what I. But, that's what but I. The state has way. Okay, way no, more. I knew yeah. the state had more. I only look at MBAR. We're not really. I mean, yeah. maybe we could expand. MBAR has more members but. than us at GCAR. We don't like that, but it is what it is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> density <laughs> makes sense, I guess. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. Lots of new agents. <laughs> <laughs> but you said they all drop out, right? Well, GCAR <laughs> events, I would say, though, are much more Fun. well attended. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. We spend a decent amount of money on events. Yeah, no, they're a lot of fun. I love it. So, yeah. So anyway, what other? Yeah. So um, tell us where, if people want to reach out to you, where they can uh, contact you at. Um, So you can find me on Instagram at April Myers DMV. Um, I have a public profile now, so. Um, you can add me on there. You can not add me. You can spy on me. Um, I'm trying to do a little bit more sharing inside, you know, info or information as like just as a resource for agent interests in the DMV. Um, so you can find me there. And then also my email is april at com. So that's R-L-A-H-R-E.com. So. Yeah, it's always hard to... We have a weird brokerage name. Yep. It's always hard to uh, convey that to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Everyone's like, what is that? I'm like, just Arla. Yeah, just don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. (laughs) At properties is a little bit easier to say. It is. But that's still weird, too. Well, yeah, the double branding. But it'll take an adjustment period, and then it'll be fine. Yeah. All right, so we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. If you guys have questions about Arla, reach out to April, and we'll see you next week. 
Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts. 